We are back for a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is Dale Gavon. I do apologize for no podcast last week as, uh, boy, I was hurting last Wednesday <laughs> Wednesday through Friday uh, throughout my back. And, uh, yeah, Dale, I was I was literally just laying in bed for a couple of days. It, that was not fun. That was not fun. <laughs> we are just the walking wounded on this podcast. You've got a back issues it's got you laying in bed i've recovering from my stitches they've been pulled out of my hand each and every week you just never know you tune in this podcast you don't know what physical ailment is going to befall one of us jason you just never know we keep you we keep our listeners on our toes exactly exactly but uh i'm on the men's you know i'm still you know still getting through it but i've i've been back in the office here and uh, of course as always we appreciate everyone tuning in here for the podcast give you a little uh podcast announcement as i'm gonna be starting a new podcast series it'll be here on the ameriport youtube channel it'll also be on the ameriport uh podcasting platform feeds as well it's gonna be called get to know and the premise of the show is me having about a you know 30 minute conversation or so with a fighter that is on the verge of getting into the UFC. And I will tell you literally right after me and Daniel get done recording this podcast, I'll be recording the first episode that's going to come out on Monday and I'll give you a little teaser. It's with the fighter who trains out of the MMA lab and uh, fights at 135 pounds and the lab has been turning out someone 135 pound fighter. So that'll be coming up on Monday. So be on the lookout for that. But Daniel boy, we take a week off from the pod. And the last two days in MMA, shit has gone crazy. I know. We don't even have any time to talk about the fights on either side of the weekend. Like, we literally had Bellator 300 last weekend, and it's just a complete afterthought because we have two really big news stories. I mean, the fights that were changed that we will now see in a couple weeks are huge fights. But even that pales a comparison to the significance of the biggest news of the week. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Bloody Elbow had a great tweet yesterday, and it was about the MMA news that's dropped over, you know, basically the last 48 hours. California starts a MMA retirement fund that was signed in by the Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, Bloody Elbow has a great story on that if you want to see the particulars of what that retirement fund is. Charles Oliveira, we find out on Tuesday night, is reported during the Contender Series. I remember I was sitting at home, I was watching the Contender Series, doing some work on the couch, and a report comes out that Charles Oliveira is out of UFC 294, that Alexander Volkanovsky is going to step in. And then the post, uh, post-fight press conference, Daniel White's asked about it, he goes, well, yeah, well, we kind of wanted to call Islam first in Abu Dhabi before this thing got out there, but yeah, it's true, Volkanovsky's stepping in to take a rematch against Islam. And then we're learning that Paul Costa potentially out of the fight. He ends up being out of the fight against Hamza Shemaev. Kamaru Usman stepping up to 185-pound division to take on Hamza Shemaev, the co-main event. Kevin Ioli saying that Dana White told him that the winner, as long as they're healthy, will get a title shot. Okay. I, I guess we're just... I, I guess I'm on current UFC middleweight. I'm going, what the hell? But okay, all right. It is what it is. UFC events announces an event in Saudi Arabia in 2024. And then really the big news, we get Conor McGregor has re-entered the USADA testing program. And that's not really the big news. The big news is the fact that USADA says, oh, by the way, uh, we're not going to be in business with the UFC come January 1. No, and it's huge news because USADA has been a part of the sport for nearly a decade, at least part of the UFC. It's been a major, major factor. The biggest reputation of USADA is probably the inconvenience it's been for fighters throughout time. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. whether it be the horror stories of waking fighters up early in the morning, looking at Tim Kennedy in the shower, ruining Tom Lawler's career. USADA has been something that's been a bit of an annoyance uh, for a lot of fighters throughout the years. But it goes hand in hand with Conor McGregor returning. And it was really crazy to see the press release that USADA put out. So I see the tweet from Aaron Bronson. This is how I initially see it. I see the, the post on X about it. And one of my initial thoughts I had, you remember a couple of weeks ago when Dana White's like, yeah, I don't want to talk about you, Sada. You can go talk to Jeff Nowitzki. Boy, does that quote hit a little different now than it did back then. Yeah, but it's also kind of predictable what happened. This sport, by and large, the UFC only bends over backwards at the behest of money. The big-time stars, Conor McGregor, Brock Lesnar, these are the type of fighters that can have real impact. Who knows if the UFC re-ups on the USADA deal, if Conor McGregor stays retired and isn't trying to fight, you know? Who knows? You, you know, I think... The other point people have brought up is the fact that the UFC's and the Mark Hunt lawsuit's over. That's a big one as well. And the UFC is also in a position where they've sold the company, right? It's mm -hmm. the, the only big... The only big question mark for the UFC kind of moving forward financially is the television deal. But that's something where, as an organization, I think they feel very confident that they're going to get a deal that's going to make them a lot of money. So no realistically, question. with that lawsuit handled, there isn't a lot of motivation, I think, to maintain USADA because USADA, to me, has just been – the benefit it's provided to the sport has been primarily to the UFC to use USADA as a shield of, hey, we're clean. Even if the sport isn't super clean, it's the makeup the promotion can put on to, hey, we're clean when it comes to different situations. Now there really isn't a need to have that dressing on top of the salad that is the UFC. And what will be interesting to see is what the future of this sport looks like, whether or not without USADA, we will go back to the days of TRT, Vitor Velfort, and TRT, Alistair Overeem, or if we're just going to see a similar sport to what we've seen with just more wiggle room with various, you know, treatments and drugs that people can take. And if we'll just have a middle ground, I, I kind of feel like we're going to have a middle ground. It'll be interesting to see if the UFC gets involved with another anti-doping organization or, or how they handle it. But um, clearly this move was made solely to get Conor McGregor back into the sport and probably within the six-month time period um, that he would have had to wait had he done the USADA deal. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, I think it's very clear that VADA will not be one of those uh, testing agencies because um, so this was a post on X 19 hours ago at UFC has always needed to be under the Ali Act. Now more than ever, they also need a players union like the NFL. OK, and and look, VADA has taken some things out there. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that VADA also tweeted was for many reasons, most U.S. commissions still perform little or no out of competition PED testing. I mean, look, while there is truth to that, 
I mean, you know, there be, there comes a financial cost to this for the commissions. Of does it make financial sense for them to do that? I mean, look, and we can talk about there, there's good and bad things about USADA. Like when I think of the bad things about USADA, the the very first thing is is that this was not a collectively bargained anti-doping policy. It was a dictatorship that was put onto the fighters, which there's part of this statement from USADA that I just thought was absolutely hilarious about this, acting like fighters had a say in what this policy was. I, I, I was talking to a manager last night. We were having a conversation about the whereabouts policy. Good and bad things based on who the tester was. You know, if you if Daniel, you're in the UFC and you in your whereabouts um, form, you say, hey, I'm at the gym at 7 a.m. This address, you know, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Well, it's Friday. Let's just say you're running a little late. You went and, you know, you, you went and got a cup of coffee and you were in the drive through line a little longer than expected. And that tester calls you up and says, hey, man, I'm at your gym. Uh, where are you at? Hey, man, I'm running a little bit behind. I'll be there in about 10 minutes. Is that tester going to wait or is that tester going to leave and say it's a fell whereabouts policy? Th- those are the bad things. Now, the good things were, as me and you are both have been in the sport for a long time, we know where this sport was eight years ago in terms of PEDs, especially when you look at, you know, how the the exemption that was being thrown out there for testosterone replacement therapy. So there, there's good and bad aspects of this. But when I looked at Travis Tiger's statement yesterday, there's uh, a couple of sentences that I highlighted that I thought were the the most interesting. Obviously, he takes a dig at Conor McGregor in this one, takes a dig at the UFC. But this is the, the part I highlighted where he says, quote, we are disappointed for UFC athletes who are independent contractors who rely on our independent gold standard global program to protect their rights to a clean, safe, and fair octagon. The UFC's moves imperils the immense progress made within the sport under USADA's leadership. The relationship between USADA and UFC became unattainable given the statements made by UFC leaders and others questioning USADA's principal stance that McGregor not be allowed to fight with without being in the testing pool for at least six months. One UFC commentator echoed this. Do you remember who that was? Was it? Was it Brent Fitzgerald? Know. Because we were talking about his tweets. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like it was a, f- a former fighter who, who that the way the way that press release read, I'm like, well, who was a former fighter that was involved in a similar situation? But I, I couldn't think of it. It's just like if you're going to say something, put somebody's name on it. <clears throat> Yeah, I and, mean, that, and that, that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing with the press releases. You read this press release, and it's just not the type of press release or statements you want from an organization like that. It just reads of hokiness. And throughout Usada's tenure, there have been too many holes in the boat, Jason. Too much leakage, you know, different things, um, moving goalposts throughout time in terms of when you look at the measurements of units that were required, you know, John Jones was on X talking (laughs) about this. And in this press release, there's a lot of statements that don't pass the BS meter Mm -hmm. throughout. And that to me is probably the biggest issue with USADA is for an organization that is an authority in an authority role, you are looking for a true authority, somebody you respect. And it's an organization that through its words and actions have given critics an opportunity to not have respect for them because the words they say aren't particularly accurate all of the time. 
And I also, one of my other thoughts when I was reading all the stuff on X yesterday was I understand that we live in a society. It's about let's have this hot take now. And to me, I want to see where this story goes, you know, and I, I think, look, we've seen you saw a story. We'll see if we hear from Dana White at some point this week. I'm sure he'll give the UFC side of the story. And most likely the truth is somewhere in the middle. You know, so it's like for me, I kind of want to let this story kind of develop as opposed to get, give a hot take out there, whether this is going to be good or bad, because we'll see what happens. But I mentioned about Brandon Fitzgerald. Now, look, I think he's a great play-by-play guy. You know, I, I enjoy listening to him call, call fights. But, I mean, look, I understand, you know, he's defending the person that gives him a paycheck. And so for people who did not see uh, the post that he had on X, one of them was, you saw I just lost a big client and a lot of money, so they're a bit salty. UFC drug program remains in place, just not paying a middleman. USADA loved having UFC as a brand name client because none of the other major leagues use them. So we're doing what the NFL, NHL, MLB, and others have. USADA claiming a breakup with UFC because of their principle, which reminds me of Stacy from Wayne's World. Let me, let me go to the part where he started comparing the UFC to the other sports leagues. Me and you both know there's a major difference between the UFC and what happens in the NFL, the NBA, MLB, the NHL, and that is it's collectively bargained. And that's all my hope would be is whatever the UFC does. And, and you know, and I know Brandon did tweet that they're going to, there's going to be a third party that's going to handle this. We'll see who that is. Maybe it's the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Maybe it's somebody else. But to me, it's it comes down to I want to see the fighters have a voice at the table of what this anti-doping policy is. But I think we both know this is once again going to be a dictatorship that's going to be this is a policy. If you don't like it, go fight somewhere else. Yeah. Fighters will not have a voice at the table. It's as simple as that. The reason being is if they are given a voice during this situation, they are scared that the fighters will use that voice for other situations that hurt the pocketbooks of the promotion. So the promotion has a vested interest to silence fighters and to make sure they don't organize and collectively bargain like they do in MLB, like they do in, in the NFL and the NHL and in the NBA. You know, the only types of sports you can compare the UFC to is something that isn't a sport exactly in professional wrestling. It's a very similar business model, and the talent are treated like independent contractors, and they have just as much of a collective bargaining impact. They have zero. So, yeah, fighters' opinion, voices will not be heard. Um, but I do imagine that moving forward, they're going to have much more comfortable lives when it comes to the testing policies. And I, I do think it's going to be more relaxed if, if I had to guess. Again, I think we're going to see Conor McGregor fight in January or February. Uh, unless they're trying to hold him for UFC 300, which I don't know. Maybe they're trying to get two fights out of him. You know, one in January and, and one at UFC 300 yeah. maybe. If if I had to guess, but this was the most predictable thing ever. You know, you listen to this podcast and I'm going to give you wrong predictions 65% of the time. But it was very predictable that the UFC was going to bend the rules to get Conor McGregor back in the octagon. And obviously we haven't had a fight announcement, so maybe he's going to wait six months starting from October. But I still really doubt that. I think all this moved because they have an idea for him to fight before the six-month period. 
I do think, though, there is a legitimate conversation to be had is when you're talking about and using Conor McGregor as an example here, when you have the type of injury that he had, was there medication out there that was going to help him recover that was on that ban list? And so from that aspect, sometimes I look at for, as a fighter, if I sit there and you know a, do, a, a medical doctor goes, look, hey, this can help your process of recovering, but then you realize it's on the ban list. I mean, that, that to me is where we kind of get in the sticky situation. And I mean, look, it's, it's taken. I just, long- they need to let, this is, this should make it fair. They should just let Michael Chandler take steroids and we could just have a fair fight. They should just let him let free reign, take all the steroids you want. Let's just let it. Cause like, that's the one thing that just seems unfair is obviously there's no proof of anything we're just this is all hearsay and we're just looking at pictures we're looking at here's conor mcgregor weighing in at 145 here's conor mcgregor looking like a buff snack as he recovers i mean he just looks like a a superhero in some of these pictures he looks radically different it looks like he he not only recovered but improved physically so my big my big thing with this one is does conor mcgregor have an unfair advantage heading into a michael chandler fight where he had that long time period to basically be on anything he could he could have been on you know he could have got a shot of horse testosterone ship straight from Alistair Overeem's leftover <laughs> refrigerator. He could have been on that because he wasn't getting tested. Uh, so that's the thing that makes me feel sad is that maybe Michael Chandler is going to head into a fight where he has a disadvantage. So my solution is let Michael Chandler take steroids if he wants. Now here's really the question mark: How many failed drug tests do we hear about between now and December thirty first? If Conor McGregor fails a drug test, we're gonna hear about it. <laughs> I feel like USADA is like a, like a. I, I, I dude, I think they're gonna amp up testing. I, I think that they're gonna amp it up here in the fourth quarter. They're gonna te- they're gonna test Conor like eighteen. Conor's gonna have a vars a, a jacket by the end of the year. Um, yeah, I, it's funny all those guys. It's funny you yeah. say that because Kevin Holland tweets like, "Man, I want one of them jackets." <laughs> I know, dude. What? Yeah. And that's like another perfect example of where USADA is kind of a joke. The jackets, right? There are just too many things. You just USADA didn't command the respect that they should have with their actions and with their words. It was too willy nilly. It wasn't the most logical situation in terms of punishments, in terms of thresholds that needed to be met, and it also appeared to be a bit too strict with the types of things people weren't allowed to take. Yeah. So that's kind of the legacy of USADA. It was a bit of an ugly legacy, but it was it was a protective it was a protective PR clothing that the UFC could use to get things done. In addition to that, another part of the legacy is things have changed. Fighters don't look like Vitor Belfort anymore. Fighters don't look like Alistair Overham anymore. Sure. Uh, uh, we, well, look, look. I was, I was about to say, com- we, look, bro, I was having this conversation with somebody last night. I saw what Verdum and JDS looked like when they fought in bare knuckle. Yeah. Their bodies looked a little different than the last time we saw them. Yeah. I mean, you can't look. At the end of the day, adding testosterone is going to have an impact on you. Mm-hmm. And the question is just like, is it justified? How much testosterone should be allowed, right? Stuff like that. We got to a point with TRT where it was clearly being abused. Like clearly guys were getting more testosterone than 
they should be getting. Like it was like you get testosterone replacement therapy to get back to a basic level because you're starting to not have as much as you age. And maybe I'll get some TRT as I get into my 30s, right? But clearly, again, Vitor was just he was he was a monster. He was an absolute monster. And it, it played an impact. And it was without that, he wouldn't have been as good as he was during that late period of his career. And then Alistair Overeem, like single handedly, took over the K1 world. You know, so it, yeah, I, I don't know. But you also have some guys now in the UFC that maybe we would have those questions about if USADA wasn't around, right? Like you look at some of these dudes with amazing bodies, like Yoel Romero when he was in the UFC, and you have those questions. Alex Pereira, when you look at him, and you have those questions. I mean, some of these people are just naturally gifted with their physique. That being said, I can't prove this, but I'm fairly certain that if you go to a gym and you ask some guys how many people you think are using, that are in the UFC, I think people think, yes, there is a significant portion of athletes that are beating these tests, that this isn't a completely clean sport. And it makes sense why it's not a completely clean sport. Because as Gordon Ryan, you know, went on a big tirade, I don't agree with everything he said, but he, he kind of makes the point, like, to be the best in the world, you want to, you, you got to do everything. So for these guys who want to be the best in the world, who want to make a living out of this, make the most money, go undefeated. There's significant motivation to take on the risk factor of, of, of getting on something that may be a banned substance. But you know what my thing is, though? Like, I, I hate the word performance enhancing because let's just be honest about it. You know, you, you go to your local nutrition store. Yeah, we're all trying to, you, you know, you're going to try to find that thing that helps you enhance your performance. I mean, it's no different than, than someone at the start of the morning having that cup of coffee. You're trying to enhance your performance. That's a that's a valid point, and I guess it's just where do we draw the line? Do we draw a line? Is it free will? You know, growing up in the day and age of we as a professional wrestling fan, when I was growing up, everybody who was you know a significant portion of the professional wrestlers that were part of the business when I was barely a baby were dying as I was in middle school. It was mm-hmm. it was a free reign of just taking all kinds of crazy stuff. And it wasn't just steroids. People were taking a lot of um, downers to go down and uppers to go up every day. It was a part of the lifestyle. And the type of steroids that people are taking are dramatically different than in the 90s and 80s. But as a pro wrestling fan, I saw you go – like I, 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 if I pull up WrestleMania six, this is an event that happened like in 1991. Wasn't that Hogan and a warrior in, in Toronto? Did yeah. I just pull that one out of my ass? Yeah, no, uh, that was uh, Hogan and Warrior. But like, like, so many of the guys on this card are dead, right? Like, like, there's 15 matches, uh, and and like, so many of these guys are dead. Ultimate Warrior is is dead. Rick Rude is dead. Jimmy Snuka lived to an older age, but is dead. Big Boss Man is dead. I'm just going down the card. I like in every like I just went down the top 3 matches and each of the top 3 matches somebody is dead. Right? Like that's that's the real yeah. scary thing is if you do give guys a free reign, people are going to die. With that being said, it's a different dynamic than the 90s and 80s. There's there, it's not as scary as it once was in terms of what people are putting their bodies and they're smarter about it. But it is worth – I mean it, it's something that I think about because it seemed like every single week a wrestling legend would die in his 40s or 50s. Yeah. I mean look, we we, we, you know, we all remember those times. I mean you know, there wasn't that long ago you, you, it seemed like Deadspin had an article 
every couple of months about a wrestler passing away. I mean, like, but my thing is ultimately is let's see how this thing plays out. Let's see what the UFC does, you know, and, and let's see what the new anti-doping policy is in comparison to USADA. I mean, USADA, like I said, there were some good things they did, but there's also things I had issues with And we'll, we'll see kind of how this one plays out there. But, uh, but yeah, I think maybe one of the bigger stories is going to be is, is Conor McGregor fighting in January as opposed to maybe fighting in April. And was this impacted by the fight replacements that we saw, right? Was this like, all right, we need Connor in January. Uh, let's screw it. Let's tell Usada to go take a walk. Well, I mean, well, I mean, Connor, we need you in January. But if you want to, but if you want to bring up the point, and, and I've heard fighters bring up this point, they'll say, why is it okay for a fighter to get signed by the UFC on short notice and be able to immediately take a fight? But if you quote unquote retire, you got to wait six months to get a UFC fight. That's a that's a logical inconsistency, and that is the I mean, biggest issue for Usada, as I've been saying. And let's be real about it: there is hardly any drug testing going on in the regional scene. I know here in the or, state of I know here in the state of Florida that if it is a title fight, that um, testing is required. But I mean, look, it's it's going to be a P test, and to me, that's that's an IQ test. Yeah. Yeah, because you know when it's going to happen. It's easy to game. Um, yeah, it's, it's a valid point. And the logical inconsistencies to me is the downfall of USADA in terms of the reputation of the of the public. I think USADA doesn't have a great reputation. And what? again, I mean, the, the Tom Lawler situation is the yeah. biggest one. But, you know, but, now you, but now you got USADA getting into the PFL business. Of course, I think PFL kind of had no choice when they lost like 20% of their roster in the first month of the season. And that's kind of where USADA's been. Hey, are you having a PR nightmare? Yeah. We're here. So they're more so a PR organization than anything else. You know, if they did hire a state athletic commission to regular drug testing, you know who I would love? I, I know this is probably the last guy they would turn to. Andy Foster the California State Athletic Commission. I think he would maybe be super strict. I think, <laughs> dude. I, I I love anytime there is a notable event in the state of California because, um, you know, I I don't get big on what the, the fire salaries are. Okay, it is what it is. I just I'm so enamored with those fight night weights to see what fighters are weighing on fight night to see. Who are the fighters who are truly cutting a decent amount of weight as opposed to who are the fighters that are not cutting any weight? Like, I remember when I was looking at it, Kat Singano, I think she weighed in at, you know, 144.6, and I think she weighed 146 on fight night. So that just shows she's really not cutting much weight to make 145 pounds. That, to me, is like and, – and, of course, there's just, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things California does that, to me, they're a commission that, you know, they, they want to be transparent in what they're doing. Yeah, and I kind of like and respect a lot of what Andy Foster does. And all I can ask for is transparency as a consumer of this sport. It's relevant. It's important. And uh, he provides it. And it's a commission that should be proud of how they do the, how they do their business. Now, let's move over to Bellator. Of course, you mentioned about they had Bellator 300 last week. And, you know, there was, uh, you know, Scott Coker obviously was asked about the Bellator cell. And I think people have probably seen the quotes out there to seen the video of what he said. And to me... The facial reactions told me everything. I didn't even need to hear his words. But there's one part of his quote 
um, where he goes, these things take time, and until the time gets solidified, to me, it's just speculation. So I can't engage with that because it's really unfair, I think, to the promotion of the 300th event. We had some great fights tonight. We've been doing some great fights over the last, let's say, eight, nine years, and this company has grown so much. Tonight's a celebration. I watched this event live, Daniel, and uh, as I'm watching it live, I wanted to post something on X. I said, man, that's going to make me look like an asshole. And then on Monday, I saw Jimmy Smith basically allude to what I thought. It seemed like a funeral. Yeah, it was a bit of a Debbie Downer of an event. I don't know what great fights. I mean, maybe they happened on the prelims and I didn't see it, but... I, I know there was a lot of great prelims. I know Liam McCourt looked good, got that finish over Sarah McMahon. But watching Bell Tour 300, Jason, I was let down with the presentation. I got to say, um, ah, it's a bit of a tangent. And I'm sure I've already complained about it before. But I don't like the, the after every fight, let's go to Josh Thompson. Oh, God, and, uh, bro, preach. Fucking preach. That is That is why I hate watching Bellator live. And it is just, it's too much goddamn filler content. Like, I'm here to watch fights. I, I look, I don't mind listening to Josh Thompson give his analysis on his podcast, but like, if I'm sitting on my couch on a Friday or Saturday night, I'm here to watch fights. I don't want them going back to a desk to promote where the hell they're promoting. Like, that to me is, like, look, when you talk about downfalls of Bellator, it's when they went to Showtime. That to me is one of the big. That to me is the biggest downfall of of Bellator. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, to go from Ali Malay and Liz Carmouche, like that was a sparring session. The Dude, that was like trying. <laughs> I was having a conversation with my friend about this the other night. And we're talking about that fight. And he's like, he's like, what'd you think of that fight? I go, Dude, that was a glorified sparring match between friends. I go, let's just be honest about it. If me and you hate each other, Daniel, okay? We're in there. You realize I'm on a bum knee. You're going straight for my knee. You, I, you're just gonna leg kick the shit out of that knee, and like it's just like I get it, but like it just. It was one of those things where like this was a fight that sounded good, and then it happened, and it was like, oh, this was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have people who like and love and respect each other fight each other. It's gonna be this, and it was very clear after round one. And yes, the referee asked them to compete more, and they did compete more. And eventually, Liz was able to finish uh, Ili Malay as her leg was just completely, uh, you know, it was done. I, I believe it was, I can't even remember. She was on like one leg, and then boom, she went down. But yeah, the fight itself sucked. Um, Cyborg and Zingano, yeah, we got a finish out of it, but it was just like <laughs> feeding meat Dude. to a shark. So once again, didn't want to come off as an asshole on X. I, I I start typing this this post. Like, is anybody surprised how this went? I was like, no. Nah, let me let me rephrase this thing a little bit. Let me talk about how Chris Cyborg was was dominant. It was very interesting to me, knowing the fact of the end of Bellator is coming. Whether PFL buys them or uh, you know this, the organization just absorbs. I thought it was interesting they brought Liam McCord in. To say, oh, this is Cyborg's next opponent, which my first thought was nothing against Liam McCourt. Outside, if you're in the Liam McCourt fan club, who the hell is excited about that fight? Well, the thing is, I mean, no one. 
I mean, I think Cyborg is going to be a heavy favorite. And all the credit to Cyborg, she's one of the all-time greats. Her consistency of greatness is is pretty unparalleled. Her her the biggest part of her career is there just weren't that many one forty talented one forty fivers that tested her. But yeah, no one's excited for McCourt in Cyborg. The thing is, like, Leah is someone who is the most marketable challenger available on the Bellator roster. And they were just looking for her to get a good win. And she did get a good win. I mean, it was the best win of her career. Got that finish over McMahon, raining down ground and pound. So there's that. But, yeah, no one's excited. But that's kind of been Cyborg's career in Bellator is just feeding fighters to her. And there just aren't that many human beings in this weight class that exist that gets you excited for a Chris Cyborg fight. And all the credit to Chris for maintaining her dominance. I mean, she's been doing this damn thing for a very long time, right? Very very long time you know i don't know is there a single top female fighter that was fighting when she made her name in elite xc that is still going today not that nothing sticks upon my head i mean the the one thing though and i mean look you know chris is when you talk about the mount rushmore of, of women's mixed martial arts she's up there it's her it's a man nunez i think you have to put ronda rousey up there because of what she did for the sport the fourth person I don't know who the fourth uh, female fighter on Mount Rushmore will be. I think it's, it's Shevchenko, but there's a possibility for somebody to t- overtake that spot. I mean, the, the thing about Chris is just a lot of these wins early on in her career just didn't age well. I mean, that, that to me is, I mean, if you talk about her best wins, her best wins were in the UFC. I, you look at the Holly, the Holly home win is the one the UFC that me that, that sticks out the most, um, you know, and that's where, you know, Scott Coker, I mean, look, Scott Coker is being a promoter here. And this was his quote about Chris Cyborg. He says, quote, I don't see how anybody can say that Chris Cyborg is not the goat in the female division. She is a beast. She is amazing. And she took care of business. To me, that was an amazing fight. Um, how I, I'm how that was an amazing fight. I'm not because she went out there and destroyed Katzingano. Like that did not make it an amazing fight to me. But like, I get Coker's a promoter. He's been a promoter for a long time. He's going to back his fighter. But it's like, come on, Scott, man. I love you, Scott. You're a great promoter. But do you really want to have a debate on who the greatest female fighter of all time is between her and Amanda Nunez? Do we really want to have that debate? Yeah, it's it's not we, a debate. You start you start go you start stacking up the resume. If I sit there and say who are the best five wins of Chris Cyborg's career, I mean clearly, Holly Holmes number one. Is Marlos Coon number two? Yeah, I think from a talent level, she probably is. Who's number three? And, and number three, man, it's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, Seriously. And like, look, I'm not trying to be a dick about Chris Cyborg here. I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm just like, if you look at her wins, Kat Zingano, Arlene Blanco, Sinead Kavanaugh, Leslie Smith, uh, another one against Arlene Blanco, Julia Budd, Felicia Spencer, Unicuna Skyoff, Holly Holm, Tanya Evinger, Leon Landsberg, Leslie Smith. I mean, that goes back to 2016. Yeah. You want to go pr- prior to 2016, I mean, it's, it's Marlos Kunin. Gina Carano, I mean, there's a name value there. Shayna Baszler back in 2008, I mean, but then when you compare, and, and look, it's the women's games evolved. And at some point, someone is going to pass Amanda Nunez. This is just the way it happens. 
yeah, because you just never you can never imagine it, and then the next one happens, and you're just like, holy crap! But Amanda was the one that surpassed Cyborg, and Cyborg doesn't have she only has two blemishes on her record. It was just the quality of competition did not exist at 145, and frankly, it still doesn't. It's just not a weight class that. I mean, the this, the best female fighters fight between 115 and 135. And then the and, next best weight class after that's 105. And there's only one fight anyone wants to see Chris Cyborg in. Yep, Kayla Harrison. And Kayla, you know, they uh, PFL did a media day down at ATT yesterday. Yeah, you know, look, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, and I guess we can kind of move into something we were going to talk about the podcast if we had a show last week was, you know, power ranking the Bellator roster. And... And me and Daniel were talking about this before the show. It's like how you power rank the Bellator roster could be very dependent on who you are. If you're the PFL and how you power rank the Bellator roster, it might be a, a drastically different than mine because Chris Cyborg's probably high on your list. Ryan Bader might be high on your list because you need someone for Francis Ngannou. I'm really interesting. So I was thinking we do a snake draft here. I'll give you the first pick. Okay. And, and and so I've I've earlier today I was sitting here and I was power ranking all my guys, all, all the fighters. Oh well, okay. There's only one female fighter that came in the top twenty and well, you know who that is. You might be surprised her number on my list. Damn. I did I did not look at this from a PFL aspect. Let me just say that. I just looked at this from a where they are at this point in their career list. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's like uh, I'm. Yeah, I'm looking at it like kind of like I'm starting an MMA organization, and I just want the best possible talent available. That's kind of so, the way I looked at it too. Who am I picking? So if I if I had the first overall pick, it's a tough one for me. It really is. Uh-huh. But honest to God, I think the most talented fighter on the roster, and he didn't look that impressive on Saturday. It was kind of a sparring session. But I, I do think Usman Nurmagomedov's the most talented fighter they have on that roster. And there's a lot of people that can come for that throne. But if I'm just gun to my head, who's going to have the greatest career moving forward? I'm going with Usman. He was number one on my list. He was number one. Yeah. So I can go with my number two and number three. Number two, give me Johnny Eblen. Yeah. Number three, Yaroslav Amosov. Yep, Amosov has just as much upside as uh, – well, I mean, but all three of these guys have unlimited upside in terms of their future. It's just – you know, the, this it's just crazy how high their ceilings are. And what I like about Eblin is if you're having an American mixed martial arts organization between those three, he's the most marketable uh, being American compared to Nurmagomedov and Amosov. So there's some talent there, obviously. It's a deep roster. But if I'm going with a snake draft and I'm going to bet on upside and maybe people I can build my promotion around, you know, it's tough for me to leave some of these champions available for you to draft but when I look at this, when I look, God, it's tough to do this. It's tough to leave these champions, but damn. Because there's two guys who aren't champions that I just think the world of in terms of their future and what they're able to do. But there's other guys who've proven it already and have a, gone to the top of their roster. I, f- I feel like I, you might be doing my number four and number five fighters. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Aaron Pico and A.J. McKee. Uh, McKee was not number five on my list. Was Pico four? Pico was four. Uh, yeah. I have A.J. McKee at number seven. 
Yeah. So I think I think you're going to go with the guys I was. There's two guys I was debating um, who to pick in, in place of those. But who are you going with? I'll go with my number five and number six. Number five, he's an interim champion, Patchy Mix. I think yeah. the, the ceiling is super high for him. And number six, this one's kind of interesting because he's talking about going up the heavyweight. We've seen what he's done at 205, Vadim Nemkov. Yeah, Vadim Nemkov kind of belongs in that category with Amosov, Eblin, and Usman, where it's like he already may be the best dude in his weight class. He's that talented. Um, so, yeah, I, I like your picks a whole lot, man. So now that I'm, I've, I've got the pick back, I'm going to go with one of the guys I was thinking about taking, and that's Sergio Pettis. Um, I just think the world of him. I think if you if I have a gun to my head, who do I like more, Pettis or, or Patchy? I'm probably picking Patchy Mix, but I'm okay with taking Sergio Pettis as a consolation prize. And, and now things get interesting. I think this is when the roster starts to open up. I think you have some really talented people, but they're towards the end of their career. And if I was starting a mixed martial arts promotion – I want some meat left on that bone. But, man, you just – I go back and forth. I really do. And I'm going to settle on going with the name value. I'm going to settle on oh, – he because he, he – man, God, despite the loss, I'm despite the loss, I'm going to go with Patricio Pitbull. I don't like it because of the last time we saw him, it was a big upset loss, but he still is the greatest fighter in Bellator history. I had him at number 12, and really it's more of where he's at this stage of his career with where his age was. By the way, Sergio Pez, I had number eight. So my number nine pick, or number nine of my power rankings, his last fight was in Bellator, but he's a free agent right now. Michael Pesh. Yeah. By the way, Michael, because so when I was going down my list of Bellator fires, I went into the Bellator rankings uh, voting panel. So he's still listed on there. So that's why I said I'm still going to go with him. So uh, now I got to go to I'm going I'm going to stick to my power rankings here. Giving number ten. Obviously, it's all about uh, if I'm in the PFL, but I'll go Chris Cyborg. I mean, I think she's still a fire that people are interested to see what she can do. But obviously, there is that one fight we want to see her in. Yeah, great name, great pick, and I was going to take Chris Cyborg if you weren't. All right, so back to me. Um, I think I'm going to go with – man, this is tough. It really is. I think I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with Ryan Bader. I mean, this is a deal where he's in the back nine, no doubt about it, and he is the Bellator heavyweight champion. He's had an impressive career in Bellator. I think he's still got a few good fights in him. And when you're just looking at, you know, best talent available, I think he kind of fits that resume. And then for my other pick, man, I'm going to go Raphael Stouts. So for Ryan Bader, I had him at 13. For Raphael Stouts, he was at my number 19. Yeah. So I'm going to go with uh, my first pick here will be my guy that came in. He was number 11 for me. I'm actually kind of surprised he uh, didn't make your roster yet. Koji Horiguchi. Oh, that's a good one. It really is. He's, he's a perfect mix of exciting fighter and talent level and also still middle age. So just looking at uh, my numbers here of who is already gone. 
So I'm now at number 14, Corey Anderson. Yeah. That, you know, he's in that Phil Davis category of he might give you some snoozers, but the, still, the ones I mean, are there. I think Corey's only in his mid 30s, young 30s, maybe. Yeah. Uh, see here. Corey Anderson is, he's 34 years old. So, I mean, even at light heavyweight, I mean, he's still kind of in that, in that prime of the career. Yeah. You know, he's damn talented. I'm going to go with another one that will give us snoozers, but she's freaking good. And I know she's not on your board because you already picked Cyborg, but I'm going to go Liz Carmouche. She's freaking good. She's a damn good talent. If I'm in the UFC and I can bring her back, there's a story to be told there. Yes, she's the reason why you don't have her is because her fights generally are pretty boring. Mm -hmm. But the story to be told is she was a part of that fight with Ronda Rousey. She went out into the wilderness. She did nothing but kick ass and take names. And now she's back. There's a story to be told there. Is it a boring story? Maybe. My other pick is Alexander Shabley. Interesting. Those are two names that were not on my uh, top 20 board. I think Shabley's a really good talent, man. I think out of anyone in that lightweight division, he maybe presents the biggest possible challenge for Nermaga Madoff outside of A.J. McKee. So I'm uh, on my power ranking boards. My next two picks will be who uh, I have at number 15 and number 16. One guy that's really uh, you know propelled here in Bellator, Jeremy Kennedy at featherweight is a guy that. So I have him at fifteen, and the number sixteen. I mean, look, he's on the he's clearly on the back end of his career. Gegard Mousasi. Yeah, I mean, not too long ago he was in consideration for being the pound for pound fighter, best pound for pound fighter in Bellator, Longo Patricio. But I think it's a good pick, and I believe this will be my last pick. Yep. Um, thinking of taking Javi Ayala, but. I'm going to gonna pass. Um, if I'm going with somebody with upside, there's a lot of talented fighters with upside on this roster. Uh, I would say, gosh, they, as you as you're talking, the way you're thinking, there is a name that's popped in my head. He's actually on my list. He wasn't in my top twenty, but I'm interested to see if you say his name. Mm. Should have done more research. I, 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 I guarantee you, I, I he's not. The, I guarantee you, the person on my list is who I'm going to say isn't who you think, because I, I know there's someone really good that I'm leaving out. But I'm going to go with Archie Colgan. That's the name I was in my head. Okay, okay, I passed the test. I passed the test. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I love the team that he's at. You know, he's he's one of Gaethje's main training partners. Um, I, I think the ceiling's very high for him, you know, and, and you know, like as you talk about Bellator and going forward, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, I mean, let's just say PFL does ultimately acquire Bellator, you know, what fighters are maybe going, you know, going to be on the streets, and that was a conversation I had with the manager last night, and and, and their point was kind of that of like, you know, hey, there's there's going to be a lot of fighters who have been in Bellator that they're going to be on the regional scene because PFL is not going to take them in. Um, you know, so in terms of, so I had two fighters in my top 20 that we did not, uh, three fighters in my top 20 that did not get picked. Um, one was uh, at 17, I had Linton Vassell. Um, word did come out today via uh, on MMA Junkie that the reason he withdrew from Bellator 300 was uh, testing positive for COVID. I mentioned about some breathing issues that has happened. Uh, number 18, I had Adam Borax. 
And number 20, a guy that we've um, most recently seen in the rising cage as opposed to the, or a rising ring as opposed to the Bellator cage, Juan Archuleta. Yeah, Juan Archuleta with his rising championship in the crowd. A good pick and a great talent and a former champion in Bellator as well. A lot of great talent in Bellator and several marketable names that didn't make the draft. Two other uh, names I'll mention that were kind of on, on the honorable mentions list, uh, Phil Davis and Anatoly Tokov. Yeah, and uh, hell, we didn't even think about taking Fabian Edwards. He, yeah. I, I looked at that, um, you know, but he, he didn't kind of make my list. And what the hell is Vitaly Minikov doing? I have no idea. No idea. Yeah, he just kind of dropped off the face of the earth after losing to Saeed Selma yeah. due to a finger injury. Yeah, but by, by the way, I, I did I did look up Javi Ayala. Hasn't fought since his loss in Bellator in 2020. Javi, it's time to come back. I'm sure he just took it off because of the pandemic, but when he comes back, he's coming for that championship. You know, we, we mentioned about all this news that's happened over the past couple of days. And, and I know we, we live in a sport that it's very much in the now, but are we all just going to forget about Bobby Green winning in 33 seconds? Look, I got to say this about Bobby Green. I love him, but my man wouldn't have this badass knockout. Probably the best moment of his career, and he spends like the first forty-five percent of his interview trying to get his dog in the cage and not accepting no as an answer. And Shut Daniel up. Cormier is just playing father. He's like, "Bobby, this is your time." He's like, "Get my dog in the cage. I want my dog in the cage right now." I'm like, "Why is this a priority? Why do you want your dog in the cage? They're yeah. running an event next week. What if your dog takes a crap in the cage?" I, yeah, Bobby Green, I love him, but man, he gets sidetracked sometimes. Uh, but bro, I did not see that one coming, and obviously Grant Dawson didn't either. Dude, what a hell of a win for Bobby Green! Uh, good for him, bro. It's always cool to see these guys who are veterans at the game. They've been doing it. Bobby Green, I remember was on some Affliction cards. I remember watching him. I feel like he took on like Dan Lozon on some Affliction card. It's good seeing Bobby Green do well. And, uh, yeah, man, he's looking better and better, bro. He's looking better and better. Few guys look this good later in their career. And he's doing he's doing well, man. Yeah, man. He, he I mean, goes out there and, boy, whew, that, was, uh, that was a beautiful KO that he had there. I mean, look, and I still think that, you know, you know there's still a high ceiling on, on Grant Dawson, but you just got to go back to the drawing board and, and get back to it. Of course, uh, you know, we do got a UFC event on Saturday, UFC Vegas 81. It's going to be headlined by Sadiq Youssef and Edson Barboza. Uh, it's, you know, there, there's a couple of matchups on this card that do intrigue me. Um, Jonathan Martinez, Adrian Yanez, how's Adrian Yanez bounce back? Uh, Michelle Pahe moving up to 185 pounds, taking on Andre Petrovsky. I would imagine Petrovsky tries to, to utilize his grappling in that one. Uh, you know, also, I was kind of surprised to see Darren Elkins and TJ Brown on the prelims just, just because of, uh, you know, Darren Elkins. I mean, there's a reason. You know, he, he tends to have exciting fights more times than not. Uh, Terrence McKinney being on the preliminary card was also kind of a, a little bit of a odd move there. But, uh, of course, Brandon Marat, a uh, fire out of the Northeast scene, he took that fight last week being an injury replacement there. But, uh, you know, like I'll say this, and I mean, I know we're not going to talk much about this car, but like to me, what, what's kind of intriguing about the main event, it's another one of these cases where you have that, that guy on the rise in Sadiq Youssef. And you kind of say is like, this is like that, it's that test of, you know, hey, are, are you a top 10 guy or are you not a top 10 guy? And yeah. by the way, and I don't know if you've seen some of these pictures of Edson Barboza. I mean, homeboy is jacked. 
Yeah, he's been looking good for a while now. Um, Barboza, needless to say, probably has the advantage on the feet. Uh, I think that goes without saying. That goes without saying in most of his fights. Um, look, I think this is a big step up for Sadiq. I think Sadiq's personality that he's exhibited outside of the cage has probably got him this position here today. He's done. He's done the success in the octagon. He's looked good, but I, I do think it goes to show if you go out and you promote yourself, you make interesting content. You be, you can make yourself into a name, and here he is headlining a show. This is the definition of just some fights. Um, this is one of the weaker main events the UFC's put on in a very long time. I, I think Barbosa is going to beat Sadiq Youssef, but we'll see. But yeah, man, I mean, there isn't a lot that's got me excited. I'll be watching it. I'll be telling you what I think about it. But I have a heavy feeling that when we record next week, we're going to spend very little time talking about the fights this Saturday. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about UFC 294. There just yeah. isn't a lot on this fight card that's got me excited. Yeah, I mean, unless something crazy happens on Saturday, you know, mentioned about kind of that strength of schedule that Sadiq Youssef has. I mean, his wins in UFC, Don Shanis, Alex Aceris, Andre Feely, Gabriel Benitez, Shamal Murray, Sumon Mokhtarian. I mean, so it, it's, you know, not, you know, probably you'd probably say Alex Aceris is his best win. Uh, that was a decision to win back there in 2022. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, we do have mentioned a little about UFC 294, and, you know, it's, it's one of these things where we always know the UFC machine is going to roll on regardless, and and, you know, I mean, look, it's unfortunate that we're not getting the matchup between uh, DeBronx and Islam, but man, I'm more jacked up now to see this fight with it being Volk after what we saw in their first fight. And, you know, the, the co-main event is interesting, and I saw the betting odds on this one earlier today. And I, I was just I was checking best fight odds to see maybe if they've changed at all here. Yeah, they, they've drastically changed from the graphic I saw. Uh, Hamzat Chemaev over on DraftKings Sportsbook, a minus 270 betting favorite against Kamar Usman. And uh, I don't like this matchup for Kamar Usman. I really don't. No, I mean, for both Vulcan and Usman, you're talking about taking on guys who have been preparing for this specific date for a long time and have had it set in stone. And both Kamara and Volk are basically taking this fight on 10 days' notice. Um, Kamara is going up against a big dude who is going to be hard to out-wrestle, who is going to punish him. And Kamara is incredibly talented. But for Kamaru, it's also like what – when you when you reach the pinnacle of the sport and you get knocked down, what's next? Few yeah. guys stand back up. Will Kamaro do it? Moving up to 185, it's certainly possible. I'm honestly probably more excited for this fight than the Costa fight, but uh, it's funny. That's kind of the case for both of them. Like both replacement fights are more exciting, but uh, I, I'm just currently leaning towards the guys who are already high level talents that have been preparing for this specific date in the first place. I just think that's an unbelievable advantage. Yeah, I mean, looking over uh, at uh, ESPN MMA, you got Ank Live and Walker. Obviously, that's a big matchup there uh, at, at 205 pounds. Um, other things that kind of uh, – Tim Elliott taking on Muhammad Makayev is, is another one that definitely – uh, sticks out to me. And, uh, you know, of course, this is an afternoon pay-per-view, 2 o'clock Eastern time, 1 o'clock there in the Rio Grande where Daniel's at. And uh, if you like to go out for to watch your UFC pay-per-views at a sports bar and you want to know whether your sports bar has it, you 
got to ask them if they have ESPN Plus for business. If they do have ESPN Plus for business, they will have it. And uh, it's a it's not the uh, it's not the traditional pay per view for us in the bar business. Uh, is ESPN Plus for business how we get the fight night cards, Dana White contender series, things along those lines? Are you going to be showing uh, Dylan Dennis and uh, no. Logan Paul? Can you tell me tell me tell me this, Jason? What do you know about the Logan Paul Dylan Dennis hype? What are some of the details you've that have, you've received? Because this this storyline, this pre-fight hype has gone to all kinds of places. <laughs> I saw Dylan Dennis choke out a porn, porn star. I was a boxer. I, was, I don't know. If maybe she is a porn star, but I believe the, the headline I saw that she was a boxer and she agreed to that. Um, Wait, are you sure? That's I swear I saw that on Facebook. I could have sworn I went, and it's not like I identified her as a porn star. Like I, I didn't, I didn't like see the video, and be like, oh yeah, I remember watching her on Tuesday. <laughs> I could have sworn. I, I'm going to double check my facts, but I feel like I clicked on her profile. And again, my girlfriend's listening to this. Is I just clicked on her profile to do some research, and. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay. doing re- honey i was doing research for the show look man i saw dylan Dennis choke out this chick i wanted to know who she was i was curious like what's going on here i clicked on her thing and the very first picture was her naked uh is this gonna, is this the girl that um part of misfits, was, it, was this the girl that that flashed uh the misfits boxing show i don't know i don't i don't know i've, I've already i'm already in so much trouble from what i've said uh uh, I feel like it wasn't a boxer though, because like again, like I'm gonna go to her, like I'm gonna go to her profile again, and her her bio is the naughty page, and again, I can't even show you what's on my a screen. It's just yeah. It's okay, just a lot so of pictures I, of I so naked. I her name's Ellie Brooks. So I I googled uh, Ellie Brooke fighter, and one of the she just have a boxing. Emoji. One of the headlines says OnlyFans star and boxer Ellie Brooks shows off her bum in bikini and boots. Okay, so I guess she. Isn't a porn star. I apologize to her, uh, and and um, I uh, I will offer a notes app apology. It's just <laughs> one of those things. You, I had to laugh. I was on Facebook the other day, and I saw a regional fighter uh, in his stories, basically complaining about uh, female fighters who make money on OnlyFans. And I was like, "Are you jealous?" Yeah, if I could make money off OnlyFans, I would have one. But no one would buy that. I think people would pay me not to have one. Um, I mean, I, I think she is a porn star. The more research I'm doing, uh, which I can't even read some of these headlines. And if you can read them off of my glasses, then all the power to you. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm going I, I'm to. Just, I'm just going to Google Ellie Brooke. They call, she's an internet. The first thing comes up in Google. Internet personality. Born in 1998. Age 25. She's British. Uh, let's, let's look. Okay. She's got a, a Twitter. Let me, let me go to videos. <laughs> okay, okay. I just, I pull up her ex profile. Just pull up her ex profile. Have you, have you pulled up her ex profile? Oh. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's why, that's why I came okay. to that conclusion. I didn't, I didn't even see the first pin post. I just saw yeah. the bio that just says the naughty page. Yeah. And, and literally the, the first picture. Um, I'll let her. I, I, if you're around your kids, don't open up her ex uh, around your kids. I'll, I'll put it like that. Yeah, and I've just I've done more research, and I can confirm that I was right in, in my initial assessment of what her occupation was. And uh, I will not. I retract my apology. This 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 part of the podcast is going to give me so much trouble. 
But that's oh. the internet. I, dude, dude, I literally, I, I'm scrolling down and like one of the videos comes up and let's just say, yeah, interesting. Yeah, don't, don't, don't accidentally like one of her tweets. People are going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going over to her IMDB page just to see what pops up here. Yeah. Yeah. She, okay. She, on our IMDB page, under related news, it says Scorsese movie. It says Dylan Dennis chokes out adult performer Ellie Brooke. Well, we're adult performers. We're adults that are performing a podcast. Some people yeah. may get off to it. I don't even look, I, I guess there's probably someone in our listening audience that might go Ellie Brooke Pornhub and just to see if anything pops up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, anyways, that's our analysis of Dylan Dennis versus Logan Paul. <laughs> yeah, look, look I, I, yeah, no no interest in, in paying paying for that. I think I want to say it's a zone pay-per-view. We'll see what happens. I mean, they threw water bottles at each other today. Dylan Dennis and Mike Perry did a stare down against each other. I don't know. Uh, but the price point did come out for Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou, $80. It's a lot of money, no doubt about it. A lot so, of uh, money. It's, I mean, I'm not surprised by the price point. I mean, like, my one general thought is just as a combat sports fan of, like, the reason that, I mean, like, look, if, if there's a bar locally showing the fight, well, I walk in and watch it. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk, you know, I'll watch it, you know, go in, you know, have a couple, couple beers, watch the fight. I mean, I'm not going to fork, I'm not going to sit at home and fork over $80 for this thing. I mean, look, <laughs> Tyson Fury has a fight scheduled eight weeks after this. That kind of tells you what he thinks of this fight. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like really rooting for Francis to win. Like how cool would that be? I mean, any, like that would be really cool. Be given the fact that no one's giving him a shot. I'm not giving him a shot. Um, Puncher's chance. Puncher's chance. And and that would be an unbelievable story. If he comes in and knocks out Tyson Fury, Fury is coming in all cocky. We're already having a fight booked in two months. So I'm going to be rooting for Francis, man. And will I spend $80? Yeah, I think I'm, I am. I'm not going to feel good about it, especially after the fight's over. But I, I'm going to do it. I'm all in on the circus of this fight. And, um, yeah, I mean, Francis doesn't have a good shot, but I'm I'm going to root for him in this one. And who knows? He, he's a strong dude. He's one of the baddest men on the planet. I think I think straight up the baddest man on the planet is probably John Jones. But uh, Francis is one of the baddest men on the planet. I just think it's, you know, as a combat sports fan, you know, you're going to have to make decisions. You know, a week before this, you got UFC 294. Two weeks after this, you got UFC 295 with John Jones and Stipe Miocic. You know, I mean, you know, personally, do I want to shell out that amount of money in, in a four-week time period for, for combat sports pay use? No, I don't. I yeah, don't. Nearly $300. Nearly $300 is basically what you're spending. I mean, look, I just spent $4,000 at the Apple Store in the last two days. You know, a little yeah. tapped out right now. I'm trying yeah. to, the credit card needs a little break. Well, that's the thing about life nowadays is, man, things are going up. It, it costs money just to breathe oxygen. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. So we got a new a new computer because I needed a computer that had more hard drive space. That was a big thing. And then uh, and then I saw they had the i15 Pro uh, Max in. You know, I, I got to have the big screen. I've had the big screen for a while now. And uh, so I go in there uh, yesterday and then, you know, you know, you know, they bring it out to me. Cool. All right, Jason, you're good. All right. And then I'm like, I get home and I'm like, where the hell is a SIM card on this thing? 
and basically realize I need to turn on, transfer everything, whatnot. So I kind of, I for a moment there, I really had a dumb moment of. So if you're you're upgrading to the iPhone 15, I by the way, I had an iPhone 12 before this, so it had been a while since I got a new iPhone. So I was like, and then I'm like, I'm like I'm my old phone, I'm like trying to pull out the SIM card, and then I'm like, oh, you don't have to do that. All you got to do is fucking turn the thing on. Yeah, yeah, just turn it on and put one phone on top of each other, and it trans. It's confusing. I don't know how the technology works. Dude, dude, yeah, line the two phones up and get this thing in. The- yeah, it's. Did yeah. Did you get it before or after they changed the charger? Because they're the- going to change the charger. No, for this one, yeah, this one's a change. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like it's a, it's the same charger for my iPad Pro. Now the the only thing the only thing that sucks about it, my car doesn't have that, so I can't charge my phone in my car anymore. My car just has a, a USB, a regular, a Dude, standard USB. Three times in my life, I've needed to buy a charger for my iPhone, and I've gone into Target or Walmart, and these chargers aren't really they they don't make it specific like if it's for an iPhone or not because I think maybe like <laughs> Apple doesn't. Three times I, I, in my life, I've I bought always, in chargers that don't fit the iPhone. I always get the Apple product. I, I don't get like the off-brand. No, I but they, the they don't sell they don't sell Apple products in Walmart or Target. My Target, they do. There's only an Apple section. Uh, uh, maybe there is an Apple section, and I never went to it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like in the video game area, TV area. There's like a, gonna, a, a row dedicated to Apple. Look, the one thing is I'm a bit of an idiot. I, I've always gone to like the charger section. I didn't know if there was a whole Apple section. I'm going to have to go to my local Target and see if uh, we have an Apple section or if there isn't one in the Rio Grande Valley. You're going to go in there tonight. You're going to go, son of a bitch. Yeah. Like I've spent my whole life not just thinking that Apple products aren't in Target. Your girlfriend's going to watch this and she's going to go, oh my God, he is an idiot. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, this, this, no one, no one share this with my girlfriend, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, <clears throat> the only other news I really we had um, Curtis Blades out of his fight against Charlton Almeida, Derek Lewis stepping in. Um, poor Derek Lewis. Yeah, he's, this is not a good fight for him, man. Yeah, not he's, a good he, fight. He's being fed to the, the rising star. Yeah, this is a showcase I, matchup. Th- this was, and I mean, to go back on France and Ghana, it was, you know, it was a topic we were having. It's like, if you're PFL, what are you doing for his first fight? Are the only two realistic options Ryan Bader and Junior Dos Santos? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Can you convince Josh Barnett to come fight for you? Would you do Roy Nelson? That was another name that was brought up to me. Who? Roy, Roy Nelson. Nelson. No, Brock Lesnar. Th- th- I mean, but this this is who I – that to me, like if you're the PFL, that is the hardest part of being in this Francis Ngannou business. Like God bless Francis Ngannou for getting the bag. But like I would not want to be the PFL and like who are you putting across the cage from him on a pay-per-view that's going to get people excited? Yeah, there ain't nobody. There ain't nobody. Matt Riddle. Which, I mean, he might think, fight Jake Riddle, Paul, you think actually. Riddle's back, you think Riddle's going to come back to MMA? I can see him fight Jake Paul. Have they gone yeah. back and forth? No, but I, I think that's been a thing that people have hinted at. Is like, hey, that could actually happen. Jake Paul versus Matt Riddle, MMA fight. 
Matt Riddle spent a lot of time outside of this, outside of mixed martial arts, WWE name. It's a possibility, and uh, you know the weight classes kind of match up. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Riddle. I yeah. mean, Riddle's. I mean, he's still a free agent, right? Yeah, yeah. You got. He's not anywhere. No, and I think I think he's got ninety day no compete clause. If I'm right about that, could be wrong about that. So that's always we'll crazy. See. You get fired. <laughs> By the way, you, hey, you're fired, but you can't work for ninety days. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm is. sure there was probably some settlement money that came a part of that, but. Yeah, we get paid for those 90 days, but still, it's uh, that's what happens whenever there aren't a collective bargaining agreement. That's what happens. Dude, I will tell you. So um, Royal Rumble tickets go on sale um, next Friday. So I got the email about their on-location um, tickets. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling up... These packages are pretty goddamn crazy. So, uh, you're uh, you get, there's a package as low the lowest package is as five hundred dollars per person. This gets you upper level seating, SmackDown watch party with superstar appearances, an event poster, exclusive WWE priority pass gift, and a dedicated venue entrance. That is all for five hundred dollars. Oh. Next package is seventeen hundred dollars a person. Oh my God! That gets you a lower level seat, all inclusive pre-show hospitality with superstar appearances, SmackDown watch party with superstar appearances, commemorative ring mat plaque, a signed event poster. Uh, then you got a seventeen hundred dollar package, and then there's a four thousand dollar package per person. I can't even imagine forking over four grand. I don't care if the Undertaker goes over there and gives you a belly rub. That's too much money. Yeah, so the the four thousand um, package, it gets you uh, premium floor seating, ringside photo op, all inclusive pre show hospitality with superstar appearances, Royal Rumble commemorative chair with hassle free shipping rows one through six only, commemorative ring mat plaque, uh, also gets a signed event poster, and you get all of the lower inclusions. I mean. It's a lot of money, but you know what? I mean, look, everything's costing us a lot of money these days. Let's just be honest about it. Look, yeah. you, 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 you look. When I was in the Apple Store on Tuesday night, clearly the economy's not doing that bad. Mm. Clearly, economy's not doing that bad. Even though the things one thing I, I one thing I did realize is that clearly a lot of people who are trying to buy something don't know what they want to buy. Because I literally, the girl came to me. I said, "I want this." Did it? You know, this package. Did it? She goes, "She goes, wow." How many people are like you? Just coming here, you know. And like literally, once I got to the salesperson, I was in and out in five minutes. Same here. I'm like, let's 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 end this interaction as quickly as possible. Let's like, get it I, done. I, I think most men are pretty much we have we have a game plan when we go shopping. We know what we're going for. We're in and out. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of hey let's go to this store let's go to that store no we're kind of we're in and out type people no we run a hurry up offense when we get in there we're we're moving down the field you know we're 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 getting the play in and we're snapping that ball and we're getting the hell out of there we're getting that end zone yes very much so very much so by the way I'll be I'll be in uh in your your in Houston here in a couple of weeks are we playing each other yeah beginning of uh, November well I hope we will beat you. I'm a little optimistic. We lost to the Falcons. 
Desmond Ritter looked like a Heisman, or he looked like an MVP against us. So maybe the same will happen for y'all's offense. Uh, but I hope we kick y'all's butt. I'm optimistic because we actually have a quarterback. I feel a lot better about my team than I did before the season. Yeah, we got a big game on Sunday. We got uh, the Lions coming in here. We'll be wearing the, the cream sickle jerseys. So uh, doing the whole uh, celebration from uh, you know the, the orange and white uniforms from back in the day, uh, the yeah. Bucko Bruce. So uh, I, like I got him. I got I've got the Bucko Bruce polo ready to go for Sunday when I, I get there bright and early at about eleven thirty in the morning <laughs> for a four thirty kick. Well, you know it's 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 a it's a good season so far in the NFL. A lot of uncertainty. The whole the, your whole division is interesting. Everybody that's up for grabs. Who's going to win it? And uh, you guys are damn good, you know. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, I love what's happening with your quarterback. I think, uh, you know, when you look at the way Cleveland fans miss him and his personality, a guy who went through a lot, it is really cool to see him do well and the veterans on your team who have been through some, mm-hmm. the, you know, Levante, David, so many great players on the Bucks defense. So I'm, I'm glad I'll that say this. Really and being in Tampa, obviously know much more about Levante. He may be one of the most unappreciated players in the league. No, for reals. I think Levante probably means the same for y'all that D'Amico Ryan's meant for the Texans. That's how I would put it. I mean, he's just a captain for years. I almost forget he's in the league because I I don't watch the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, well, the problem is when you're quote-unquote an outside linebacker, if you're not an edge rusher, you – the odds of getting to the Pro Bowl are, are just not likely. I mean, it's just that's that's the way it is. Yeah, people just vote in who has the most sacks. Yeah, and he clearly does so many other things and has been a leader for y'all for a long time. Yeah, it's crazy. But I would like, say, I, you know, since we we were on the bye week last week, I did I did did watch a fair amount of, of football on Saturday and Sunday. So that was uh, you know, I guess uh, got to, got the experience what it's like to. Uh, you know, just sit sit at home on a Friday and Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, and uh, not have to do anything. Yeah, man. Well, hey, good for you, man. Your your Seminoles are doing great, and uh, they continue to do great. And I think uh, we'll see what happens when y'all play University of North Carolina, uh, because that to me, those are the two top teams in the ACC. I think. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Y'all y'all look talented though. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good football year for me so far. We're we're off to we're off to a good start, you know. It's uh, you know, we got a, you know, so we're we're I'm home for the next two weeks, and then we have a Thursday night game in Buffalo. So looking forward to uh, going up there. Buffalo's a Buffalo's a, a unique NFL town. It's 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 a different NFL town than you know a lot a lot of other you know majority. Damn, y'all don't y'all don't even play North Carolina. We could play them in the, in the ACC title game though. Yeah, dude. If yeah, I mean, but the way the AC is now set up, it's it's the two best teams to make it to the the final to the championship game, which y'all could very well escape. be be a, be a FSU and Clemson. Dude, you guys had an easy schedule after after beating LSU. Holy crap! You guys have to beat Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, Duke, Miami, Duke's good. North Alabama. Duke, Duke's, Duke's I, I know Duke's good, but. But Duke's good, but that's the best team either. Well, I mean, I mean, look, it, for FSU, it was about getting through the first four weeks of the season. Yeah. You know, you could you could have easily been two and two after four games as opposed to four and out. And as talented as Miami is, they might have a new coach by the time you play him after what he did last week. Dude, I watched that going. What are you? And I think it was Greg. Ma- it was either Greg McElroy or Tim Hasselback was on the call, and they are just it was Tim I Hasselback. Mean, 
I mean, rightfully ridiculing him. And oh, yeah, is, the game's over if you kneel. And it's the second time this has happened. It happened when he that. was at Oregon. Oh, my God. I, for, I did not know that. Dude, could yeah. you imagine being a defensive player for the Miami Hurricanes? I and saw that, dude. And you're watching. Yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw that clip on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, that is... I've been around football broadcasting for 20 years now. I've seen I've seen some crazy things. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. Yeah. Like literally all you got to do is kneel on the ball and the game is over. All you got to do. All you got to do. Game over. Like that stuff you do in Madden to up your stats. Yeah. You don't do that in a real game. Yeah, in a one possession game. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, that, that's absolutely crazy. But, uh, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone. By the way, uh, we got any uh, wrestling gigs uh, coming up here? No, I'm, I'm sidelined until December with my injury on my, on my hand. My doctor tells me if uh, I reopen it, it won't close. So I have to slowly let it heal. Um, well, so, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that would be a very smart decision on your part. <laughs> yeah, so December is probably when I'll be back. So I'm guessing uh, we're not taking, taking up, putting up or taking down any rings anytime soon? No, I'm gonna. I'm getting some gloves, and I'm, I'm watching what I'm doing. <laughs> you, you learned your lesson the hard way. Yeah, man, it's crazy. But yeah, you learn. I'm always gonna have my hands gonna look. It's gonna look ugly the rest of my life. But you know, as mm-hmm. long as it heals. But yeah, I'm like Pablo Costa with my freaking stitches. Oh, I do it. I saw that elbow. I was like, oh god. I'm like, yeah, there's no way that dude's fighting in six weeks. Even though I know he also got like some other. Dude, they're talking about he's, he's gonna have. Th- he he had a surgery earlier this week, and they're talking about having. I think he's having another one on Friday. Poor guy, I feel bad for him. That That's, sucks. Well, I guess he can really drink that secret juice now, though. Yeah, for reals, he's needs it, man. Poor guy. I, I hope he recovers. So that that sucks. Straight yeah. up sucks. Yeah, that's unreal. But as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, our new episodes come out on Thursday. And by the way, we'll have a new podcast on Monday. Get to know. Be on the lookout for Monday on the Airport YouTube channel and on all the Airport podcasting platforms. <laughs>